Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. We are continuing on in our Culture Shock series, and over the past six weeks, we've talked about some pretty tough stuff. We talked about politics, we've talked about marijuana, we spent a couple weeks on sexuality. Um, Last week was Sanctity of Life, and maybe those things have raised some questions that you haven't gotten sufficient answers to or you'd like to talk about a little bit further. We have an email address where you can send your most difficult questions to Dr. Fowler, and he will personally answer. No, actually, what's going to happen is... Two weeks from now, Steve and Jennifer are going to use the uh, message time to address some of the questions that have come up over the course of this series. So if those things rise to the surface, would love to have you email those to that address. This morning, we're going to talk about a topic that you might not think fits alongside of those other topics, but I believe that it has a significant cultural impact, and that impact is only going to increase. And so I want to address this topic this morning, but I'm going to introduce it by way of this video. Are you a Christian girl that loves taking photos of her devotions? Do you spend hours framing the perfect picture without the payoff of people people noticing how how spiritual you are on the internet? Introducing Christian Girl Instagram, 101 tips and tricks to get more likes on your devotional photos. Hi, I'm John Christ with Christian Girl Instagram. Do you struggle to get likes on those devotional Instagram photos? Hashtag the struggle is real. From the best-selling author of shameless workout selfies comes Christian Girl Instagram. I would always get totes stressed out trying to decide which Bible verse to show. Not anymore. Okay, you're always going to want to stay away from common verses like Jeremiah 29.11 or John 3.16. No matter what verse you choose, you always want to make sure you highlight multiple verses with multiple colors. Because after all, what's the point of having devotions if no one knows about it? I used to spend five minutes reading the Bible, and then like 30 minutes trying to figure out a hashtag. Then I found Christian Girl Instagram. My book includes over a thousand hashtag suggestions like Coffee with Colossians, Bliss, Serenity, Much Needed, and of course, hashtag blessed. Buy Christian Girl Instagram today and we'll include our 31-piece package of options to put in the background of your photo. Things like a candle, a Precious Moments doll, a subscription to Relevant Magazine, kale chips, and of course, a coffee cup with a Bible verse on it. Thanks to inspiration from Christian Girl Instagram, I took down my Marilyn Monroe poster and replaced it with footprints in the sand. So clear off what's really on your desk and replace it with new products from Christian Girl Instagram. Christian Girl Instagram is great. My devotions are now constantly being interrupted by people liking my posts. Buy now and I'll also include my additional book, Announcing Your Social Media Fast. Tips and tricks for effectively telling people you're fasting while ignoring all of Jesus' teachings about telling people you're fasting. Christian Girl Instagram can be yours today. This book and so much more available to you all for the cost of less than a pair of yoga pants. I don't always do devotions, but when I do, I Instagram it. We're so confident in our product that if you're not totally satisfied with Christian Girl Instagram, we'll send you this free autographed Tim Tebow poster. Well, there you have it. Uh, We have a problem as a culture. First, we're addicted to our cell phones. 
We are addicted to cell phones. Like I said earlier, I spent a week with 5,000 high school students, and I would equate cell phones to one of two pictures here on the screen. Whether it's a pacifier, it's something that just keeps you calm, or if you've seen Lord of the Rings, My Precious, the one ring, that's kind of the thing. We're addicted to cell phones. And for those of you who came into this place this morning uh, expecting to find Pokemon, we cleared the room, so don't pull out your cell phones thinking there's going to be something great here as well. We're addicted to our phones, and we are culturally addicted to social media. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, this idea that we want to be connected through things like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat. And if you are over a certain age, and and by that I mean 30, um, then you're probably on Facebook. And if you're under 30, you're like, who has time for Facebook anymore? It's all about Snapchat and Instagram. But I want to talk about those things because they are taking over culture. The world has approximately 7.3 billion people, give or take. 2.3 billion of those people have a social media profile. That's 32% of the world. Now, in America, it it more than doubles. 65% of Americans have a social media profile. Facebook adds 500,000 new users every day. It's six a second. And people who use Facebook, 25% of them check their Facebook more than five times a day. And the average amount of time people spend on Facebook a day is 40 minutes. Now, if you're not Facebook, you know, Instagram has more than 80 million pictures loaded every day with 2.3 billion likes for those pictures. Social media is a significant cultural force. And I want to talk about it this morning because social media is not a neutral place. It always moves us in some sort of direction, whether it's positive or negative, whether it's encouraging or discouraging. When you spend time on social media, it doesn't leave you the same. And there are positives to it. There are positives. It's a great way to stay connected with family that you don't see. It's a great way to post family pictures. It can be a great source of encouragement. It can be a great source of um, kitten videos and, and all of that other stuff that you get to see there. But it also has some downsides. It has some downsides to it. And honestly, I don't even think we know the extent of the downsides. I think 20 years from now, someone's going to do a study and we're going to look back and say, oh yeah, I can really see how that has shaped culture. But we have seen certain issues rise to the surface. And I want to talk about those issues this morning. And social media hasn't created really these issues that we're going to talk about. It has just given them a different platform. It's given them a different hold on our lives. You see, the premise of social media is to get connected to people. The purpose of social media is so that you can kind of engage with the world. But the problem with social media is, like most things in our life, they get sucked into this gravitational pull that is us. The purpose of social media is to connect to other people, but the problem is, is that we tend to make connecting with other people and their opinion and what they say and how we promote ourselves, it's all about us and it all reflects on us. And that's... That's a problem. You see, there's no social media mentioned in Scripture that I could find, right? But I have wondered, if Jesus were to get his message out today, how would he do it? Would he have a Facebook page? Would Jesus have an Instagram account and give new meaning to the words, follow me? Is that what he would do? Would he tweet the Beatitudes? Can't you see him writing a post like, just raise Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead, hashtag he's angry, hashtag heaven's for real? 
Can't you see? And everybody's liking it and commenting on Lazarus wasn't really dead. I didn't see him. You know, all this kind of stuff going down. So we don't have that necessarily in Scripture, but we do have someone that I want to focus on in Scripture this morning. I want to focus on John the Baptist, and I want to take a look at just three different pictures of his time here on earth. And I want to look at them from this perspective of John had every opportunity to take the things around him and make them about himself. But he always knew that there was something bigger going on, and he always knew that there was something more. So we're going to be uh, in Mark and John this morning. If you want to grab a Bible, we'll be in Mark chapter 1 to start. If you want to grab one from the pew there, it's page 1573. All the scriptures will be on the screen as well if you just want to follow along there. But Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 4, and this is about John. So it says, He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locust and wild honey, which I'm sure makes for great profile pictures. But I want you to understand that John had attained something that most of us seek. If you look at verse 5 in that passage, it says, All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem. Now, I'm not sure that that was every single person in Judea and Jerusalem, but what it means is a whole lot of people were coming to see John. John was kind of a big deal. He had disciples. He had followers. People were coming out to see what it was that he was speaking. And there's that deep need inside of us too, right? We have a deep need inside of us to be liked, to be known, to be popular. I read a study this past week, and it said 51% of 18 to 25-year-olds said their most important or second most important life goal was to become famous. Isn't that weird? That over half of 18 to 25-year-olds think that the most important thing they can do is to be famous, is to be known, is to be adored. There's that need inside of us that longs for that. And, and social media, honestly, has given us this whole new platform to try and achieve that. Let me give you an example. Kim Kardashian. You know the name, right? She is neither an athlete or an actress or an author or an artist or a singer or a CEO. She's, she's none of those things. And yet she has leveraged social media to the point where all of us know who she is. So much so that last May, she published a book. It's called Selfish. It's 350 pages of selfies. 350 pages of pictures of herself, which seems wildly narcissistic, doesn't it? And yet it sold over 125,000 copies. She has an app out. It's called Kim Kardashian Hollywood. And uh, I looked up, I just wanted to see what it actually was about. Uh, And it says, join Kim Kardashian on the red carpet adventure. Create your own aspiring celebrity. Rise to fame and fortune. Rule the red carpet. Date and dump celebrities. Rule LA. It's crazy, right? It's made $150 million. She has 78.6 million followers on Instagram because she has branded herself this way to be famous. And we have a culture that is beginning to brand themselves with social media. We look at it this way. It's the brand of, of me, 
that we are now our own public relations firm. Our number one client is ourselves. We are now in charge of how the world sees us. We edit what the world sees of us. We can keep out all that bad stuff and we can put forward this good size, this good side of us. Me has become our most important brand. And so we judge our brand by the number of, of likes and followers and comments that we get on things that we put online. Now, obviously this happens in other ways. We brand ourselves in other ways. You can brand yourself with the clothing that you wear, with the car that you drive, with the house that you live in. But those things cost a little bit more money than a social media profile. And so we have a whole generation raised on this idea that I can brand myself with my social media account, that I can say, this is the me that I want the world to see. And that's why we take pictures of our amazing adventures or the meal we just created. That's why we go online and we find this witty quote and we put it on our status like we thought of it. That's why people take pictures of themselves jogging. Look what I'm doing. I'm exercising. You know, and then they type, you know, just ran 47 miles while I wrote a blog post about solving world hunger. Because we know the more followers that we have, the more times people have commented, the more times people have hit that like button, the more important we feel. We feel like we somehow matter more if people give us that affirmation. Now, I was doing some research this past week, and you know, you can purchase online followers. For $5, you can get 1,000 Instagram followers. So I'm just letting you know that if you're so concerned about those likes, five bucks, you can get a thousand more followers. People think you're great. But we, we craft our image by the things that we post. We create our camps by the things that we post. And let's talk for a minute about the things that we post. Because I think every person in this room has seen some type of post, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, that has just made your jaw drop. And you've been like, I cannot believe someone would post something like that. And recently, it's probably been political. It's probably been hurtful. It's probably been someone who is trying to promote their own ideology at the expense of someone else. Now, I know that nobody in this room would ever post something like that. It's the other people that do that. But we post those things under this idea, well, it's just the truth and people have to know. And we want to find out who's in our camp and who's uneducated. You know what? It's got to stop. I think enough already with those kind of posts, all right? We can set a better standard. If you're posting something at the expense of someone else, don't post it. Even if that person is running for president, even if that person doesn't believe like you believe, if you're posting something that alienates people, Instead of unifies people, don't post it. We can set a better standard than that. We can be known for better things than that. We don't want to shape our identity by those crazy things that we post. You see, the brand of me has produced something culturally. Susan Cain wrote a book called Quiet, and in it she says, we as a culture have moved from a culture of character to a culture of personality. 
We've moved from a culture of character to a culture of personality. Personality matters way more than character matters. And social media has not created that problem, but it's given us that platform. In it, she quotes this guy who's done a bunch of research. He looked at the kind of these personality-shaping manuals from centuries ago. And so he looked at everything kind of pre-1900, and he counted words, words that appeared the most often. And here's the words that appeared most often in these, these personality um, manuals. Citizenship, duty, work, golden deeds, honor, reputation, morals, manners, integrity. That's the character side. These are things that we can work on. These are things that we can grow in. And then he looked at all of these personality manuals from like 1900 on, and he counted the words that appeared most often. And here's the words that appeared most often. Magnetic, fascinating, stunning, attractive, glowing, dominant, forceful, energetic. You see the difference, right? This side's character. This side's personality. This side's a little deeper. This side's image. This side, you can work on those things. Those things are just kind of given to you. But these have become the new ideals. Culture has shifted from this to this. You see it all the time in advertising, right? I found these two ads from the 1920s. All around you, people are judging you silently. That's brutal, isn't it? It's such a heavy-handed ad. It's about soap, too, by the way. It's like, people are saying, you stink, pal. And then this one, critical eyes are sizing you up right now. That's about razors. That's a shaving ad, right? Social media hasn't created this issue. It's been around for a while. It's just given new platform. And social media tends to emphasize image over integrity. It emphasizes personality over character. It emphasizes show over substance. And we're caught in a culture that continues to lean in. Now, what did John the Baptist do with this? When, when he had the image, when he had the popularity, when people were coming to see him, in Mark chapter 1, the verse immediately following all of this about how great he was and how everybody came to see him, verse 7 says this, John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He said, it's not about my brand. It's not about me. He took all of that that he could have just sucked in and said, isn't it great to be me? It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And he understood that. A second thing I see rising to the surface consistently with social media is jealousy. There's this twinge of jealousy when you look at posts and when you look at things on social media. And it kind of happens in a couple different ways. It can happen when you look and you see a picture of people that you know, your friends, doing something that you're not doing. Or doing something that you were not invited to do. And you start to create this little narrative in your head that thinks, oh, well, I can't believe they're doing that without me. And they must not like me. And did I say something to offend them? And, and something rises up in you. This jealousy rises up in you. Or it happens when you see a post of someone else who has achieved something that maybe you have not achieved yet, and their accomplishment somehow diminishes you. It happens, right? All of us have had that experience where you've looked online and you saw somebody else living the life that you're not living. But I want to tell you, someone else's success is not your failure. And we have to stop always comparing our B-roll to everybody else's highlight reel. 
Because that only leads to jealousy. But we get there, right? Other people are doing things that I'm not doing. They have things that I don't have. They, they live the life that I could only dream of living. And it seems like social media just continues time after time to point that out. And the interesting thing about jealousy is we always think jealousy is between us and that other person. We never think about jealousy being between us and God, but that's who it's truly between. You see, it's not between us and someone else because most times they can't do anything to fix that situation. If you look at someone and you're like, I wish I was skinny like they are, they can't make you skinny. They can't make you wealthy. The real issue is between you and God. It's this idea of God. We wouldn't say it out loud, but you know, God, if only you would have made me different physically. God, if only you would have provided better for me financially. God, if only you would have put me in socially these kind of circles. God, if intellectually you would have blessed me with just a little bit more, I wouldn't be having the issues that I am currently having. You see, we're always taught that we owe God everything, but jealousy is this idea that, hey, God owes me something too. God, if you would do this. And so it creates this bitterness and this resentment. And we try and compensate with a bunch of different things. You try and compensate online oftentimes by the things that you post. And maybe you've seen it before. There's a phrase called mom petitions. It's like competitions with moms where it's like parenting as performance. And maybe you've seen posts where moms have put stuff down like, you know, just won four gold medals, first chair, uh, cured this disease with their science project, all these kind of things. It's, it's, parenting as performance, and we're raising a generation who understand performance is what gets them put in posts, which is an interesting thing to raise our kids thinking. Or maybe you try and overcompensate by trying to just be on top of everything. I will see all the latest videos. I will get all the latest stories. I read this past week that human knowledge before 1900 doubled about every 100 years. After World War II, it started doubling about every 25 years. Several years ago, human knowledge doubled every 13 months. In a couple years, human knowledge will double every 12 hours. Can you imagine everything we know doubling every 12 hours? You cannot stay on top of it. Our brains weren't meant to process that much information. Another way we try and compensate for this jealousy is to just try and be known more and more online for all the good things that we're going to do. We want more likes. We want more fans. We want more followers. But here's the thing. Internet acceptance will always feed your appetite, but it will never satisfy it. Because you know the more comments you get, the more you want. I read a pastor who said this this past week. There is no amount of known that will satisfy your appetite to be known for the thing you have determined you want to be known for. Makes perfect sense, right? Here's the thing. What he's saying is that your known bucket will never get full. Your desire to get more likes, more comments, more acceptance online, that, that's never going to fill you up. It's never going to matter. There'll always be that twinge of jealousy that someone else has more. That's always going to undermine your ability to be joyful, your ability to love, your ability to serve other people. How did John handle this? This, this jealousy. 
See, his disciples had come to him and they had said, someone else is baptizing and it's not you. And he says in John chapter 3, verse 29, therefore I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. Once again, it's not about me. It's not about my brand. It's not about me getting fame for myself. It's not about me getting more disciples. It's about him. And so I celebrate the success of Jesus. See, I think at the root of so much of this struggle that we have in social media and so much of this struggle that we have in life is really a question of identity. I think we've forgotten who we are. I think we've forgotten who Jesus has called us to be. And we think our worth somehow stems from our ability or it stems from how many times people have said, good job, or I like that, or way to go. We need a sense of identity that is durable, that isn't wrapped up in changing things. In John chapter 1, three different times people came to John and said, who are you? Right? All the crowds are coming, and he's doing amazing things, and people want to know who he is. And he has this firm sense of identity. He says, I'm just a servant preparing the way for Jesus. That's who I am. Do we know who we are? You see, social media gives us this ability to try and grab it from other people. And and we can lean into that some. We can think, okay, I need other people to speak that identity over me. I need other people to speak value over me. But eventually you realize that doesn't work. And the world's going to say, you know what? That's not where identity or value comes from at all. It comes from inside of you. You are the only one that can say who you are and how valuable you are. But here's the thing, that doesn't fill us either. We can't look to our deepest desires to give us any kind of identity because our deepest desires are flawed. They are. We are set up more for tragedy than for happy endings. And if we try and think that we can speak identity over ourselves, it's a crushing weight because what we'll try and do is we will try and achieve it. We will try and work for it. We will say, okay, I will be more beautiful. I will be more brilliant. I will be more successful. And then the quality of our work becomes the measure of our worth. The quality of our work will then become the measure of our worth. And when we have good days, we'll feel good about ourselves. And when we have bad days, we'll feel crushed. We need something outside of us to speak that identity over us. We need something eternal. Temporary things can only speak temporary identity. We need something eternal to speak our eternal identity. Now, you might say, oh, well, it was easy for, for John because John actually had a verse in Isaiah that was all about him. And that's what he quoted. But there are verses in Scripture that are all about us. In the New Testament, it says that we are a friend, that we are a child, that we are chosen, that we are accepted, that we are a new creation. Colossians chapter 3 says, we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We are the beloved of God. That is who we are. But too often we want to rely on 
what we think of ourselves, and in particular, we want to rely on what other people say about us, and we want to say that our value is based on our performance, and, and whether people like us or don't like us or not just causes us to go up and down. See, we view relationships like a contract, and oftentimes I think we view, we view our relationship with God like a contract relationship. A contract relationship is conditional. It's based on performance. If I perform, then I get to move up in line. And if I don't perform, then I move back in line. And we know that contracts can be voided. If there's a performance that doesn't meet up to it, you void the contract. But God did not call us into contract relationships. He called us into a covenant relationship. And there's a huge difference. Covenant relationships are not based on performance. Covenant relationships don't end when there's failure. Covenant relationships are based on unconditional love. The covenant relationship we are in is not based on our performance, but it's based upon the sacrifice of Jesus. That's why it lasts. That is who we are. We are in this relationship and we can have a security knowing that God loves us unconditionally and eternally. And it's not based on what other people say about us. It's not based on us trying to promote our own brand or our own identity or speak those things over ourselves. I want to just give you three things to hang on to in closing. First, as we talked about the brand of me, I would say this. I would say we need to set better boundaries and probably even take a break. We need to pull back a little bit because the hard thing about Facebook and, and Instagram is they're just endless, right? You can just continually scroll through. And how many times have you just caught yourself and you're like, wow, where did that half an hour go? We spend more time in front of a screen. And if we want to understand that, that character is, is more important than personality, those things don't get worked out in front of a screen. And we need to step back and take some screen time away and spend some alone time with God. And you're like, well, I can't afford to step back from all that technology. I need it. Well, can you afford to struggle in your relationship with God? We can't afford that. And so we need to set better boundaries. We need to take breaks. We need to lessen the amount of time that we lean in, right? Like that video that we saw at the beginning, we don't turn quiet time into time about other people experiencing it with me. Spend time with God. Set better boundaries. Second thing, with this jealousy, there's, there's a couple things. Uh, first, we need to constantly give thanks to God. If jealousy is an issue with us and God, then we need to continue to thank him for what he's given us. God might not have given us everything we really want, but he has definitely given us everything we really need. Right? And so we need to thank him for that. And so you can go to God and you can pour out your heart. He can handle it. But in the end, you're going to want to say, God, thanks for what you have given me. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son. We owe God everything and maybe even an apology. And then the other thing that helps us overcome jealousy is to celebrate others. I loved when John the Baptist celebrated the success of Jesus. We, we need to celebrate the success of other people in a genuine way, in a way that's not cheesy or underhanded or, you know, that kind of backward comment. We don't, we don't need to do that. We need to celebrate people in a good way. And finally, I would say this, as it relates to identity, I've told myself as I've been studying it this past week, God, you define me. Thank you for calling me into a covenant relationship. It's not based on my performance. 
I love that John said, Jesus, you need to be bigger and bigger. I need to be less and less. Bigger God, smaller me. It's all about him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks for your word. Thanks for the truth in scripture. And I pray that you would just bless us with the courage to have you increase in our lives, that you would be bigger and bigger, and that we would be less and less, that we would be more about bringing fame to your name than fame to ourselves. Jesus, teach us how to do that. We love you in your name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.